0: Hi, I'm Michael from Pittsburgh. This is Laurel from Oakland. Hey, I'm Allison from Cincinnati. The Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like me. You should support the show like I did. Just visit MaximumFun.org slash donate. I'm Jesse Thorne. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, it's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's the sound of young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest on this show is Ed Levine. He's the founder of the website Serious Eats. It's a community of more than 2 million food enthusiasts, and they're food enthusiasts of a very particular sort. They're interested in foie gras, but they're also interested in the best dry rub barbecue. Uh, Ed and his collaborators at Serious Eats have just published a new book called Serious Eats, A Comprehensive Guide to Making and Eating Delicious Food Wherever You Are. It is just that, a a book of half recipes and half guides to local food eating. Um, Ed, welcome to The Sound of Young America. It's great to be with you, Jesse. It is a pleasure to have you on the show. I uh, I knew that I had made a good choice in booking you on the program when I opened it to a random page and saw a very large picture of the real San Francisco treat, the It's It ice cream sandwich. <laughs>
1: exactly. If Whatever your point of departure is in terms of local deliciousness, we probably have it covered.
0: <laughs> My wife told me the other day that as a child, she and I are both from the San Francisco Bay Area, um, her grandfather had a friend who she believed to be the owner of itsits. <laughs> She's not 100% sure on this because she was like five years old. But what she is sure of is that she was allowed to go to his house. He had a pool and he had a freezer full of itsits that you could eat as many of them as you wanted. So it
1: doesn't even matter if it's true. <laughs> He could have been the foreman of the It's It ice cream plant. And as long as that freezer was constantly full of It's It ice cream bars,
0: everything was cool. Well, and um, I want to talk to you for a second about what you conceived when you started Serious Eats. What it was that, that you wanted to create that was different from the rest of the food world, the food publishing world, you know, both in physical form and, you know, gourmet and Bon Appetit and in the New York Times, and you'd written for some of these, uh, and online. Well, you know, for me,
1: it was a matter of taking the voice that I had developed in writing for the Times or... Uh, for television or even for radio and finding a home for it. Um, And I felt that there was a need for a site or anything that would somehow combine the two major aspects of media, which I think collide in a nice way at Sirius Eats, and that is authority and community.
0: Do you think that that is um, something that connects with people strongly? I mean, <laughs> probably in part because uh uh people like to eat good food. I mean, like I'm actually literally salivating uh as I speak to you on this subject. Um there's some <laughs> there's some deep brain chemistry going on right <laughs> now over here. Um but do you think that that is, is the re- part of the reason that that's connecting so strongly is is because of the the time we live in?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that Serious Eats has tapped into is sort of the democratization of food with a small d. Um, People, the same people who care about foie gras and who care about duck a l'orange also want to know where the best taco is in Los Angeles. And I think for a long time those things were thought to be mutually exclusive. And what Sirius Eats recognizes and sort of brings together is the fact that those are the same people. You know, we have we have a serial bureau chief. OK, let's think <laughs> about that for a second. I think that the reason people – like to come to Sirius Eats is because of we are democratic and discerning. And that combination hasn't been found before that often.
0: What, what was the special food in, in I would imagine that it is still to some extent, but it, 25 years ago when you started in on this, what was the really special food in New York?
1: I mean, I still think that it was pizza uh, or bagels or pastrami or you know what? Really, I will tell you as I haven't really thought about this question before, but the place I remember that made me feel like I belonged when I first got to New York was Russ and Daughter's. And I think in a certain way that's the quintessential New York food experience, the quintessential New York Eats food experience, and in some ways the quintessential Serious Eats food experience because it's not a museum. It's it's very much alive. And Russ and Daughters sells smoked fish um, It sells cream cheese, it sells bagels, it sells bialis, it sells halva. It's an old-fashioned Jewish appetizing store, but it also sells community. When you go into that store, you
0: feel like you belong. There's something interesting to me about the idea of hominess in food that Mm -hmm. is partly driven by associations with a home, as in the house, but is also partly driven by associations with a a sort of larger sense of home, that I think that, you know, it's more than just this is like what mom made, it's about, it's something that relates very deeply to a sense of uh, identity and community.
1: Absolutely, and a sense of place. I mean if you – I regard uh, food stores and food establishments as sort of quintessential third places, right? Did you ever read that book it's by some Florida sociologist where he talks about um, third places in American life besides work and home that people feel like they belong in or where they gather – to feel like they're part of a community. And I think food stores and taquerias and ice cream shops also um, fulfill that function in people's lives.
0: It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest, Ed Levine, is the founder of SeriousEats.com. It's a website dedicated to discerning and democratic with a small d food eating. They have a new book out called Serious Eats. Let me ask you this question. Serious Eats is a website. So it is a community that, by its very definition, and in part its, it's purpose, transcends uh, the local. And so how do you think that these communities uh, of people sharing food ideas and just the general availability of information, uh, not just about food, about everything, but in this case, about food, has changed the way that we eat our food.
1: Well, I mean, if you think about it, it's it's we're back to local, you know, locavorism, but right now there are no gatekeepers in the media community, so. If you have a blog or if you have access to the internet, you can gather information about anything and you can become part of the conversation. And I think when you can become part of a conversation, whether it's about – barbecue in Memphis or taquerias in San Francisco or ice cream in Boston, that automatically sort of it's, – it's a binder. It brings people together no matter where they live. And I think that's something very different. So in the old days, in the New York Times, when the – when they reviewed a restaurant or when it reviewed a restaurant, it didn 't resonate in the same way that either it does now, because the New York Times is a national paper um, and it doesn 't resonate in the way that a post on serious Eats might resonate or it didn 't before and I think the internet is sort of is 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 one of the vehicles for bringing people together. And, and even though a person in Memphis might be reading about a pizzeria in New York, somehow, either it's, whether it's, um, uh, living vicariously through the post or the fact that they can get to New York City easily or that they have friends in New York or relatives in New York, somehow it resonates
0: in a way that it didn't, it never did. So, The other side of this is making food, and I think that often the food world for many, many years was focused first on bringing in sort of classical techniques, French techniques, whatever, and and then later on, on bringing innovation, newness, new twists, adding sun-dried tomatoes to things. Um, and your recipes, like the recipes, uh, that you find in, say, in, in, uh, Cook's Illustrated, for example, are often not about that at all, but rather about taking something and trying to figure out how to make it in a good slash right way.
1: Right. I, I think that's true. And it's interesting that you bring up Cook's Illustrated because our managing editor, who I think has really... Uh, done wonders for our sites from a recipe perspective. Actually, came from Cook's Illustrated, and he uh, and I'm talking about Kenji Lopez Alt. And he, um, I didn't. I have to tell you something. I have to make a a uh, uh, a confession here. I didn't really understand the role of recipes on Serious Eats when we first started. And it wasn't until I had, a, <laughs> I had breakfast with a, a very successful uh, website owner and he said to me, so what are you going to do about recipes? I said, oh, you know, we're not going to do recipes." This was in 2000, early 2007. We're not going to do recipes. I don't think the world needs another recipe database. And so he said to me, so um, how many recipe searches are there a month on the web? And at the time, I think it was 30 million. So I said I don't know Nick is probably you know 12 at least 12 million I I didn't know. He said if I were you I'd find a way to do recipes. <laughs> and and you know he was speaking from a from both a business perspective and from a community perspective and what we try to do with recipes is we try to demystify them. And Kenji is sort of this, I describe him as Harold McGee meets the Simpsons because he, he has this sort of geeky quasi-scientific approach. It's not even quasi, it's, it's really scientific. And, um, but it's really down to earth and it's done in, contempor- in a contemporary context. So he w- sets out to replicate the McDonald's French fry at home. And that's very different from Joel Robichon telling you how to make the perfect French fry according to uh, one of the greatest chefs in the world. And we're trying to demystify food so people can just enjoy it and know that they can cook and feel great about the end result.
0: I don't want to let you uh, go w- without talking a little bit about pizza, which is a subject that you wrote an entire book on, um, and, and it's also it's also the subject of uh, a really significant portion of this serious eats book. I would say that if you if you took out pizza and sandwiches, you'd have half of a book here. <laughs>
1: I I don't know if that's true, but there's certainly a very healthy chapter on pizza
0: in terms of size. You, When you wrote your book about pizza, it was um, – you ate how many different pizza slices?
1: Well, I estimated that I ate 1,000 slices of pizza
0: in a year's time. And what did you know about pizza – going into that? Did you have like a... You were living in New York, and you were already a food enthusiast. So I imagine you had some handle on New York pizza.
1: Absolutely. I'd actually written a piece for the New York Times on the slice in New York. And I think that was what the editor Rizzoli saw when she approached me about doing a pizza book. So it wasn't even my idea. And once I realized what I could write about, that you're really – there's so much to pizza in terms of history and what goes into great pizza. And when I started to interview the great pie men of New York and the rest of the country and pie women for that matter, I found there was a whole body of pizza lore that was just waiting to be put into book form. And – You know, so for us, though, the great thing about having a pizza blog called Slice is that I was able to continue that dialogue and hopefully we've continued it even into the Serious Eats book chapter on pizza because look, think about what's happened with pizza, Jesse, even in the last five years since I wrote the pizza book, pizza is now – uh, uh it's it's it, it's achieved this exalted status among people who ordinarily would only care about eating at Per Se or the French Laundry and people, you know, the appeal of pizza, of course, cuts across racial lines and ethnic lines and class lines. And so it's just such a rich subject, which I really didn't know. And I hope we've distilled in the pizza chapter everything that that will make people understand that why it's such a, a, a rich subject and also why it's so
0: seriously delicious. Pizza is something that everyone likes, right? I, I mean, even vegans like pizza. I know it's it's
1: great that that pizza first of all, it's 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 always even when it's expensive, it's reasonably priced. Second, it's made for sharing. I don't care that the Neapolitans <laughs> don't slice their pizzas in
0: Naples. Pizza is made to share. As Pee Wee Herman once said, "Oranges were on Pee Wee's Playhouse." <laughs> <laughs>
1: right, exactly. And uh, and and I included this in my pizza book, uh, the pizza cognition theory, which was. Um, Uh, Put forward by Sam Sifton, who at the time was my editor at The Dining Section, and he went on to become the restaurant critic of The Times, and now he's the national news editor. But he, he posited that the first pizza you taste becomes your favorite pizza and the definition of pizza and that it's really hard to dislodge that memory. And so I think it's really true when you ask people, okay, what's your favorite pizza place? They'll say, "Oh, this place in Milwaukee was awesome," or this place in Skokie, or this place in in LA. You know, it's it doesn't matter because it it was it's also the first food that you can usually eat on your own with your friends. You know, it's like you're 12 years old, and you can go to the you can go to the pizzeria, and it doesn't cost a lot of money. You don't have to spend your entire allowance to have two slices and a coke.
0: Production of the sound of young America is supported in part by the menswear blog Put This On, presenting the Put This On Gentlemen's Association. Members receive a handmade pocket handkerchief in the mail every 60 days. More information at putthison.com, and by Ask Metafilter, thousands of life's little questions. Answered online at ask.metafilter.com. Starting in 2012, The Sound of Young America will become Bullseye. The same great content, the same great signposts to what's good in popular culture, but now with a name that you're not embarrassed to say out loud. So, The Sound of Young America, Bullseye, starting in 2012. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest on the show is Ed Levine. He's the founder of the website Serious Eats. They've got a brand new book called Serious Eats, A Comprehensive Guide to Making and Eating Delicious Food Wherever You Are. I've seen a picture of you and you're not fat. (laughs) Talk Um, to my wife. She might disagree. uh, I'm saying that that for the benefit of our our radio audience. And you're messing with... You're messing with really powerful stuff Um, (laughs) when you start talking about, you know, New York pizza slices and pastrami and barbecue. You're messing with these things that have been built by dozens of generations of craftspeople to connect directly to the part of your brain that makes you eat more of it. (laughs) and i wonder how when you're when you when this is the center of your life you manage to control in any reasonable way your food intake
1: it's really really hard but the one thing i will say that i have learned in terms of being a serious eater all my life, and you know, struggling with weight the way everyone does, sometimes successfully, sometimes unsuccessfully. The one thing I can say is I I now know that is that it's not the last time I'm going to be confronting a pastrami sandwich. <laughs> and you know, there I don't know if you know there there was a famous crusty old newsman in New York, Jerry Knockman, and someone asked him at near the end of his life what he'd learned. And he said something that I'll never forget, and I wish I'd put it in the book. He said, I've learned that there is such a thing as too many spare ribs. <laughs> and I think that really helps because you can convince yourself in the moment that you have to eat that entire rack of ribs. And Jerry's right. There, there, there is such a
0: thing as eating too many ribs. So having eaten a 1,000-plus pieces of pizza, um, and when I say pieces of pizza, I mean uh, uh, separate, distinguishable pieces of pizza from separate places— you live in New York City, uh, what is the one pizza place that that you would go to for a slice uh, if it really was the last piece of pizza that you were ever going to eat?
1: that's you that's that's a, a brutally difficult question, Jesse. But I would say, and I have said that probably at this moment in New York, it would come down to uh, Motorino on East 12th Street, and uh, Totono's in Coney Island, which is you know a, one of the real old school coal fired uh, pizza places in New York, and then the third place, which sort of brings us full circle, is a place in Greenpoint, Brooklyn called Paulie G's. And what's interesting about Paulie G's is that he started out as a frequent commenter on slice our pizza blog and he decided he was going to follow his passion and he opened Paulie G's in Greenpoint and it's an awesome pizzeria and he you know so he changed his life dramatically at the age of 50 in part through the Serious Eats community and you could actually and 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 all three of those pizzerias are in are in the Serious Eats Book chapter on pizza, but I think it's astonishing, you know, that a website has the ability to change people's lives and and not just turn them on to delicious food. And that's a that's a kind of crazy
0: notion when you think about it. What's the food that makes you think of home?
1: It's funny what makes me think of home. I grew up on Long Island. And I would have to say that what makes me think of home is my grandmother's matzah or her latkes or actually her blintzes. We once had a gathering at my house and my, my oldest brother who was in college. I was – must have been seven or eight at the time. And all I remember is that he invited three friends. So there were like nine or ten people and we ate 100 of my grandmother's blintzes. Okay you you do not have to be a student of higher math to know that that's an insane number of blintzes. Oh, especially for your grandmother. <laughs> oh my god, it's right cuz you know she was she was an artisanal blintz
0: maker. <laughs> Well, Ed, I sure appreciate you taking the time to be on The Sound of Young America. It was great to talk with you. Oh, it's great to talk to you, Jesse, anytime. Ed Levine is the founder of SeriousEats.com. Their new book is called Serious Eats, A Comprehensive Guide to Making and Eating Delicious Food Wherever You Are. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne, a show produced by Speaking Into Microphones, our producer, Julia Smith, Our editor is Nick White. Our intern is Colin Walzak. That's Colin with two L's for those of you keeping score at home. If you have thoughts about the show, you can always send me an email. My email address is jesse at MaximumFun.org. And always remember, all good radio hosts have a signature sign-off. I'm Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. And I'm Jordan Morris, boy detective. Every week on our show, Jordan Jesse Go, I would say that we share a little slice of our hearts. Yeah. And a little peek at our dicks. <laughs> <laughs> but every week we have a podcast where
1: we have fun and funny conversations with guests from the worlds of
0: comedy, film, television. It's all online at MaximumFun.org or just search for Jordan Jesse Go in iTunes.